the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. What I'm trying to talk about today are heart issues. Judge for yourself right now on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your selfishness quotient? How much of this is about you and yours versus how much is about Jesus? Now, as I thought about these things, prayed about them, I began to say to the Lord, Lord, is there anyone in the scripture who walked before you as a follower, but then constantly when he left your presence, went over and began to play with evil? And then he'd come back and walk with you, and then he'd go back and play with evil. Who in scripture is like that, Jesus? And the Lord obviously turned me toward Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, king. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat determined in his early years that he would follow after the Lord, that he would be a disciple of the Lord. And so he did all of the correct things. He ordered his household and the nation after the law of Moses. He practiced godliness. But then he began to think, aren't the Israelites over there that we've been fighting with, aren't they really our brothers and sisters? And shouldn't we reach out to our brothers and sisters? And he discovered that Ahab and his family had this beautiful woman. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll make a political treaty between Judah and Israel. I'll bring peace to God's people. And so he married this daughter of Ahab. He made an alliance. Now, please hear me. What gets us in trouble with the Almighty God are our alliances that we have made with darkness. And one of the alliances that we have made is with the world that says, I will get mine. And get out of my way or I'll trample you down while I go get mine. We've made alliances, agreements. And so Ahab did what all Ahabs did. They were very winsome. And they said, come visit us. But there was a hook in the visit. So 
the whole entourage went up. And as soon as they got there, they were greeted with such incredible hospitality. The scriptures say all kinds of oxen and sheep and cattle were killed. In other words, they provided a great feast. And in the midst of the great feast, the hook was sunk. Will you go up with me against Ramoth Gilead? In other words, will you go to war with me? Now, let's be clear. Jehoshaphat was a very powerful man with a very powerful army. He could field an army of a million men. He was very powerful and he was very wealthy because God had blessed him. And now Ahab says, hey, come to war. Go on our agenda. And he answers in Second Chronicles, the 18th chapter, the last part of verse 3. I am as you are, and my people as your people, we will join you in the war. I am as you are to Ahab. Jehoshaphat, the follower of God, is as Ahab, the worshiper of calves. But the alliance has been formed. The commitment is made at the feast. But he says, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Now notice, seek the counsel of the Lord. So the 400 prophets of Baal are called. And Jehoshaphat says, wait a minute. Don't you have somebody here who hears from the Almighty God? Oh, yes, I have one man who hears from God, but I hate him because he always says the wrong thing. He's always against me. He's never for me. He was brought. And as this man was being brought into the presence of the two kings sitting together in their royal robes, the guard says to the prophet, let your word agree with theirs. Speak favorably. In other words, as you come into the presence of this king, you be a yes man. Ever felt that pressure? As you come into your job, be a yes man. Don't be salt. Don't be light. Be a yes man. As you're sitting with your family around Thanksgiving, be a yes man. Don't confront the darkness. Look, aren't they as you are? Aren't they your, your blood? You're just like them. If you are just like them, you should not be here. You are not like them. You are called by the Spirit of God. Will you respond to that call and be salt and light at the Thanksgiving table? The prophet says, attack and be victorious, for they will be given into your hand. Ahab knows he's lying. How does he know he's lying? Because Ahab has heard from this man before. And he knows that this man has finally started just saying, what do you want to hear, Ahab? I'll tell you. But God's against you. And the king says, look, how many times do I have to force you to tell me the truth? What is the truth? The truth is, God put a lying spirit in the, in the mouth of your 400 prophets, and you are going to die because God has decreed death for you. 
Well, he's insulted. I mean, they have this game going. He's insulted. He's sent back under guard and he's placed in prison on bread and water. Now watch what Jehoshaphat does. So the king of Israel, in verse 28, and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. What? You see David come into the presence of God and ask, shall I go up against them? If God had said no, David would have said, I'm not going. But now Jehoshaphat, the son of David, God says, I'm going to bring destruction upon you. And he says, okay, let's go. Why did he say, come on, let's go? Because he was married to Ahab's daughter. And he'd been wined and dined. And he felt an obligation. Who are you obligated today to in such a way that you will, no matter what the cost, continue in your course of direction? What alliance controls your life? that draws you into death, and yet you won't break the alliance. Now, I'm going to go through this story very quickly because it's not the sermon, it's the illustration. The decision is made that Jehoshaphat will wear his royal robes and Ahab will go in disguise. Ahabs have no heart to protect you. They're there to protect themselves. And when you're in alliance with an Ahab, they'll try to put you in the front where you'll get shot and they'll be safe. It's compromise. You know the story. Ahab dies. And immediately in chapter 19 of Second Chronicles, as Jehu the king returns safely because God has provided a safety and a covering for his life, In spite of his alliance, God has protected him. The seer, Jehu, comes. He goes out to meet the king and he says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. So now we have the king of Israel dead. The king of Judah with the wrath of God on him. Now please understand what I'm saying to you. When you form an alliance with an Ahab, the wrath of God comes on your life. He may spare your life, but the wrath of God is still there and judgment is coming and you are going to face a great crisis. Now please hear. Some of you have been delivered from a great crisis. And that deliverance from that great crisis has not caused you to humble your heart before God. Instead, you have said to yourself, I'm very grateful I made it through that. Now, what's the next relationship with Ahab demand? Instead of repenting and breaking every alliance and hungering after God and seeking after God, you still are walking in that alliance. alliance. With Ahab. Some of you here today call yourself Christian, but you know you're under an obligation to Ahab. You haven't yet broken that wicked alliance, and because of that, the wrath of God is on your life. Now, this wrath of God is quickly seen because the Moabites and the Ammonites mobilized to come against Judah. 
And now they're faced with a great enemy that they can't play with like they played with Ramoth Gilead. Alarmed, chapter 2, verse 3, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And now we find laid out for us another great deliverance. And God steps into this situation that could have been absolutely destructive to his people. They could have all been slain. Instead of that, God steps in. And as they go forward praising God and trusting in him, the Lord sets a snare against the enemy and they turn and they begin to kill each other and they destroy each other. And now as they come to the battleground, all they see are dead bodies. The Lord fought the battle for them. Now please hear me. The wrath of God may be on your life because you have not broken the alliances that you have with darkness. But in the mercy of God, if you will turn to him and humble your heart, he will still deliver you. See, things with God are usually not this way or that way. Usually there's a process going on. And God's got you somewhere in that process. And that's why we say the door swings open slowly and the door swings shut slowly. And what you have to know in your heart is right now, is God being grieved from your heart? Is the Holy Spirit being grieved from your heart so that the course of your life is now more and more toward darkness until finally he'll utterly give you over to destruction? Or is the door of your heart swinging more and more, wider and wider, opening up, and the door of heaven is opening before you and his blessing is being poured out upon your life? You have to judge which it is for you. If you tell me, Pastor, I guess I'm just in the middle. I say to you, you're coasting. And when you're coasting, it's all downhill. No one coasts uphill. So if you don't know if the door's swinging open or closed, it's swinging closed on you. Yes. Let me say it again. If you don't know... If heaven's gate is opening or closing on you, it's already almost closed. And you're on the edge of destruction. Now, Jehoshaphat has a great victory. God has moved with awesome power on their behalf. And then Jehoshaphat gets hungry for gold. And he makes another alliance with Israel, with the son of Ahab. And they go into business with each other. And they build a fleet of ships in order to go trade their wares with Ophir, in order to acquire their gold. Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. He agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. Verse 36, after these were built, Ezengeber, Eliezer, the prophet came. And he came prophesying against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you've made an alliance with Ahaz, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and they were not able to set sail. 
they were not able to set sail. Now, that's not the end of the story. Look at the next verse. Then Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers. In other words, the wrath of God finally took its course and his life was taken. It was over. I almost entitled the sermon flip-flop. You understand why? I'm going to serve the living God of heaven. I'm going to teach others that they should walk in righteousness. I'm going to do everything I know in order to please the living God of heaven. It's to my advantage to make an arrangement with Ahab. Ahab, what can I do to please you? How can I keep peace in the family? You know, let's walk together. You know, we we want to have a great time together. Let's have a feast. Of course I'm going to go help you. What can I do for you? I'm here for you. Count me as a part of your family. Oh, God, look at at this army that's coming against me. If you don't rescue me, I'm going to perish. How can I ever get through this crisis without you coming and helping me? I'm going to fast. I'm going to give up some of this wonderful food I've been eating. I'm going to give up McDonald's. I'm going to give up all the sugar. Oh, God, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And a great deliverance is given by God. He hears and he respects and he honors the words that have been spoken. Oh, let's see. I better get back here with Ahab's son. We need to get some peace going over here. I'll tell you what, let's go into business together. You know, we got some good times. You know, I party when I'm with Ahab's descendants. They know how to have fun. Back and forth, back and forth. Walking in holiness, walking in sin, walking with the Lord God of heaven, having an attitude and and being bitter of heart over here and saying, I'm going to have my way. Are you a Christian or aren't you a Christian? Are you a Christian or aren't you a Christian? Are you with Ahab or are you with Jesus? Are you going to go over here and say, thank you, Ahab, for the movies? Thank you, Ahab, for the, I like your music. I don't like the music of Zion. I like the music of Ahab. He's got the band. He's got the tune. He's got the jive. Or are you going to worship the Lord God of heaven? Are you going to walk sold out to Jesus? Now, let's get really personal. Everything I've shared so far was just illustrations so that you can understand now what the Lord has given to me. Colossians, the third chapter, verse 5. The NIV says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The King James Version says it a little bit differently. It says to mortify your body of sin. To mortify your body of sin. But there is in this scripture a sense of be eager. Be eager to mortify your body of sin. Don't be casual about doing it. Don't say, well, I will today and I won't tomorrow. No, it's be eager to step into mortifying the body of flesh. Now, I want you to notice another part that is not clear in the NIV, but it's very clear in the Greek. 
Paul is speaking here about a body. And he's now going to give us the members of that body. In other words, he speaks about Jesus and the body of Christ. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't talk about the fruits of the Spirit. He's talking about the body. And the body has these characteristics. This is the fruit of the body. So now... He contrasts the fruit of the body of righteousness with the fruit of the body of wickedness, the body of sin. Let's begin now and examine this body of sin. Mortify the flesh, he says. Step into it. Look for an opportunity to deal with it. First, the NIV calls it sexual immorality. The King James Version identifies it as fornication. The actual Greek word used here is harlotry. Now, what you're going to discover in this passage is that primary words are used. These are not descriptive words. These are primary words. They are verbs. They are action. Harlotry. Prostitution, idolatry, that's all included in sexual immorality. Now, you recognize that in the Old Testament, particularly in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, as well as some of the minor prophets, this word is used, the same word is used to describe spiritual idolatry or spiritual fornication. What we were describing a moment ago with Jehoshaphat is described by Ezekiel as harlotry, as a sexually unclean thing because we have been called to give ourselves to our husband who is Jesus Christ. So if we give ourselves to another lover, Ahab, we have committed harlotry. And we've done it for a payoff. Harlotry is defined as doing it for a payoff. That's why this is the first word that Paul uses to describe the body of sin. The body of sin or that man nature within us always decides that it will give itself in return for benefit. The second word that is used in the NIV is impurity. But the word literally means in the Greek, and it's used in the King James Version, uncleanness. Now this word uncleanness is used in the Greek language to describe any kind of dirt, either physical or spiritual. So one of the characteristics of the body of sin is a messy house, dirty clothes, any kind of uncleanness. It also represents an attitude of jumping in to uncleanness. 
some people are more comfortable in dirty clothes than clean clothes. Some people are more comfortable in dirty thoughts than clean thoughts. You'll find every demonic spirit that is described in Scripture, it is in the Greek always defined as an unclean spirit. And so the unclean spirit is going to bring a sexual uncleanness combined with violence. And if you are aware at all of what's going on in our social culture, you will see the big magazines of the day and the big television shows of the day very cunningly mixed together sexual uncleanness with violence and, and they also will include uncleanness with the body. So that one of the big things today on television is to push the envelope and show a body that is disintegrating, that is decaying. Am I right? Have you seen this? This is a part of what is a death culture. It's an unclean love of death. This is the second element being given in the body of sin that controls us. The third one in the NIV is called lust. This is not a good definition. It is a much better definition in the King James Version. It says inordinate affection. Inordinate affection. Which literally means a loving too much of something. An inordinate amount of love is flowing toward it. This could be anything in a Christian's life who begins to be loved more than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me be very specific on this. Many times as a pastor, I've had to deal with this tragic situation where a man begins to talk with a woman. They begin to talk on the telephone. And she begins to pour out to him how bad her marriage is. And he says, well, I'm just trying to help her. We're good friends. We've been friends for years. I'm just trying to help her. But the trap is set. And the hook is ready. And at some point, time after time, I've seen that kind of relationship slip over the edge. And then they say to me, but pastor, as they sit in my office, how can anything that feels so good be wrong? inordinate affection, not recognizing the lines that God has established to guard marriage or to guard relationships. I can't tell you how many people have gotten into sick marriage relationships because they were lonely and this person came and offered them solace for their loneliness and they said, how can anything that feels so good not be right? until they had to get under the sheets every night with that person who hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And then misery fell upon their hearts. Inordinate affection, making that Ahab relationship primary and thinking they can always come back to the Lord, that they won't be trapped, but they will be trapped. Now, some of you have avoided this pitfall simply by 
the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. I pray he awakens each of you to the danger of this inordinate affection, either toward the television, toward eating, toward possessions, toward anything that we might set up and begin to love more than we love Jesus Christ. Now, the next one in the NIV is called evil desires. Let me give you the word, the literal word that is used in the Greek. It's a primary word again. It's just the word worthless. Worthless. In other words, Paul is saying that part of the body is just worthlessness. And I've had to go back and examine my heart and say, Lord, what am I involved in? What am I speaking with my mouth? What am I doing with my feet that is just utterly worthless? That has no eternal meaning. If what you are doing has no eternal meaning, it is worthless. If what you are reading has no eternal value, it is worthless. If what you are watching has no eternal value, it is worthless. And Paul is saying that this body of sin is comprised of worthlessness, badness, evil, harm. We come next to a a word that is a very complicated English word. I won't even try to pronounce the word used in the King James Version. But it simply means a longing for what is forbidden. A longing for what is forbidden. Desire. The NIV calls it greed. Now let's stop here just a moment. I'm going to follow Jesus. Remember? Jehoshaphat, I'm going to follow Jesus. But I remember with pleasure the dancing girls over at Ahab's house. He has such a good party, and I long to be over there. Oh, but I'm over here, and I'm serving the Lord God of heaven. I'm worshiping the Lord God. Oh, but I, oh, oh, I long to be over there. I long, please hear me. Please hear me. We as Christians are called to mortify the flesh. But the flesh says, look, I'll make a deal with you. Don't mortify me. Don't mortify me, but I will change. I promise you, I will change. I'll try harder. I'll try harder, and you know if I try hard, I can be as good as Jehoshaphat. I can do all that God wants me to do. But in my heart, I'm longing to be over there with Ahab. Flesh always longs to be in wickedness. The way you identify flesh dressed up as a Christian is the flesh is longing to be over here with Ahab. Oh, it's over here walking righteous because that's how the punishment is avoided. 
It's over here doing what it thinks it has to do because that's what it's supposed to do. But its heart is over here saying, someday I'm going to get back to Ahab's party. When a Christian is born, you heard what I said. When a Christian is born out of the death of a sinner, he has no desire to go back to Ahab's house. So you can test right now very quickly whether you're walking over here in the flesh playing Christian or if you've been born again. Because when you're born again, you're born with new desires. The desires are new. And you now eagerly step into mortifying the flesh because you no longer desire Ahab's house. You desire Ahab to be judged by God. You desire to walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what we're facing. Most who call themselves Christians today have made alliances with Ahab. And then they've changed their theology to say, and by the way, it's okay if we're over here with Ahab because we're just being tolerant. We're family. And the only difference between Ahab and me is that I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. So Ahab and I are brothers, but I'm forgiven, and I'm trying to convince him that he can be forgiven too. It's a lie. The Christian is called and expected to eagerly step in and mortify the flesh and to no longer hold on to those secret desires to be over there in Ahab's camp. And so things come up in my spirit that say, ah, and as soon as it happens, the Holy Spirit says, mortify that flesh. And I have to make a decision. If I make the decision to come over here and party with Ahab, the Spirit of God will be grieved from me. The door of heaven will begin to swing shut on my life. And wrath will come upon me. You want a scripture for that? Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Spare the rod, spoil the child. God will bring on your back the wrath of the, of the whipping. He'll take you to the woodshed. And he'll continue to use the woodshed, increasing the pain until finally you'll perish from the good earth if you don't repent and turn back. This this greed also just fills the heart. Fills the heart. Now today, take just a moment and think through the events of this past week. Have you had any opportunities to mortify the flesh that you've just quickly passed by? When Ahab sprang to life in your heart and you said, hey, I can get out of this with my dignity. I'm going to have a party. I'm going to have a good time. Did you just go on over there and do what Ahab wanted to do? Oh, let me get it a little sharper. Did the Holy Spirit call you to mortify the flesh? And you answered, I've already done the best I could do. What do you expect, Jesus? I'm already doing everything I can do. As soon as you hear the wine, know that it's the flesh. The Spirit 
in the new birth never whines. It's always the flesh that says, oh, I want to be over here with Ahab. I have fun over here with Ahab. We're family. It's my buddy. You expect me to cut off my buddy? And as we whine before the Holy Spirit, the door of heaven begins to swing closed. Our heart becomes hard. Bitterness rises up in our spirit. We begin to be brutal toward those in Israel as Asa was. We begin to put in prison those who would dare confront us. We put them in prison with our judgments, with our bitterness, with our criticism. But Paul is not finished with us. He now, after describing the body, he wants to go on and describe the outward actions. Let me begin with verse 5. Put to death, therefore, or mortify. Mortify means to kill. You know, the only way you deal with sin is just flat out kill it. You just flat out kill it by the blood of Jesus Christ. You submit it to the blood and the blood kills it. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature or your earthly body, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Now he's going to hit a a laundry list. I want you to listen to the laundry list. Anger. There are two words in the Greek for anger. There are more than that, but there are two used here, and I want to identify them. The first word for anger means passion, abhorrence. You want to punish somebody. You want to reach out and grab and excitement somebody and get them straightened out now. That's part of the anger. The second word for anger is translated rage in the NIV, And it means your heart is pounding fast. Your heart is pounding fast. Any of you recognize either of these? Both of them describe what goes on in our hearts when we think we're not being heard, when we think we're not getting our way, when we think things are going against us, when Ahab begins to give us a hard time. We want to reach out and throttle somebody. And our heart is pounding. And the adrenaline is moving. And we say it's not fair. And I'm not going to be treated that way. Paul's saying, look, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, mortify it. Put it away. And then he uses another word, malice. Malice just means flat out badness. Naughtiness wickedness, trouble. Then he uses the word slander, but that word is deceiving. Literally, the word being used in the Greek for slander is the word blasphemy. Blasphemy. We usually use this word in relationship to the Lord God of heaven. But here, the Apostle Paul is using the word blasphemy against other people to vilify, 
to rail, to speak evil against. Paul is saying anger, rage, malice, slander. The first four things he lists all have to do with fighting to get our own way. All have to do with our emotional response and our spiritual response to the command to mortify our flesh. Do you recognize any of that in your life? And then comes filthy language. Always out of this rage and anger pours filthy language. And filthy language here is described in the Greek as communication that is unclean in spirit. In other words, Ahab language. So Paul is saying that the outworking of the body of sin comes through our emotions and is expressed with our mouth. Now look at the last one. Do not lie to each other to utter an untruth. Now why does he have this order? He's talked about these are the members of the body. He's identified those. And then he says, now this is how they're expressed. Anger, wrath, filthy language. And the last one he nails is lying. Why does he say that? Because none of us want to be too closely identified with Ahab. We want to run back over and say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm okay. But you know by your constant lusting after Ahab that your flesh is just dressed up in Christian clothing and that your heart is not allowed the flesh to be mortified. The Lord is saying today, watch what's coming out of your mouth. Watch how you lie to cover up and make your way seem right. But, but look at where your heart is. Something was said earlier today by one of you that I also need to speak about. And that is that Ahab always wants to come out looking good. He wants to look like he's right. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a family where if you were wrong, you got punished. And if you were right, you were exonerated. And so when we stole candy and got caught, I said, I didn't do it. Not me. Well, why would I lie? Because I want to be right. And I want to avoid punishment. We were up with Tim and Liz Rohde. Little TJ is seven years old. And he came home from school. And his daddy very sternly spoke with him and said, Why didn't you finish your lunch? Well, I was dawdling. You were dawdling. What's that mean? I was talking, Daddy. You were talking instead of eating your lunch. How many days have you come home and your lunch is still in the lunchbox and you haven't eaten it? And we pack this lunch very carefully for you 
and you don't eat it, and we're supposed to throw it away. You know what? And he went over and he took some of TJ's favorite things, and he said, I'm going to take these. Well, Daddy, how long are you going to take them? How long are you going to continue not eating your lunch? I don't know. Well, I don't know how long I'll keep these. I watched this exchange go on. And when it was passed, I said very quietly to Jan, I wonder how long it'll be until TJ learns that all he has to do is dump his lunch in the trash. And Jan said to me, do you want to tell him? I said, are you kidding? He's going to learn that soon enough. By now, all of you have learned how to dump your lunch in the trash. You've learned the ins and outs of making it look like you're righteous. But God knows your heart. And he knows what's going on in your spirit. And he knows if over here you want to play Jehoshaphat and say, I'm doing the best I can do. God, I want you to bless me. I want you to honor me. I'm willing to obey you. But God knows if your heart is still saying, but go party with Ahab tonight. Could I have that wickedness tonight? And he knows when you find ways to go over there and party with Ahab and then slip back into the camp so nobody knows that you were over there with Ahab. He knows that. He watches that. It comes down to a very basic and tough-nosed question. Do you still believe that you can have your way and be a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you believe you can pull the wool over Jesus' eyes and cop an attitude and get away with it? Do you believe you can leave this house today and go and walk like Ahab and still pretend that you're a Jehoshaphat, walking in righteousness before God? He sees you. He knows what your heart is. And if you've been walking with Ahab, there is the wrath of God on you and your family. The only way that wrath can be removed is the miraculous deliverance of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus. You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. In other words, he's saying, look, you're going through this process of transformation. And while you're going through this process of transformation, take every opportunity to mortify your flesh. Let me be very blunt. Take every opportunity to embarrass yourself. Take every opportunity to confess quickly to your family when you have made a mistake. Take every opportunity before this congregation to say, I'm not walking like I ought to be walking. I'm needing the power of Jesus in my life. Take every opportunity to humble your heart before God. Don't act like you're the swinging king Jehoshaphat, righteous and holy, while your heart is lusting after Ahab. Be honest, but don't just be honest. Be eager to embarrass yourself with confessions of sin, with repentance, with turning back toward the Lord God of heaven. Let him deal with your heart quickly. He can do it the easy way or he can do it the hard way. If I won't mortify my own flesh, he will embarrass me. He will show me up. 
He will put me in situations where I'm going to have to make a decision. Am I going to walk in sin and uncleanness? Or am I going to walk in righteousness and holiness? Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Do as James said, confessing our sin one to another, praying that we might be healed, be restored in the glory of Jesus. Now, for some of you, this message seems very hard. I'll tell you why it seems hard. Because you're still trying to pull off the trick of being a Jehoshaphat and lusting after Ahab. And I just urge you, mortify the flesh. Do away with it. Put it to death. Follow Jesus Christ. Seek after him. Be eager for him. Be zealous. Be zealous to deal with the sin in your heart. Either you will kill the sin or the sin will kill you. Oh, Lord, we've come together today to be like you, Jesus. To be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I feel even as I have spoken your word today, the resistance to the idea of being quick and eager to embarrass ourselves. Lord, everything in me screams out, don't do that. Keep keep covered up. Nobody will figure it out. Oh, Lord, you've already figured it out. And all of our sin lies exposed before your throne. Thank you, Jesus. Have mercy upon me and my brothers and my sisters. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.